Welcome to 2021 at the Andre the Beast Creighton Show. You know, we got new sounds. Thanks to my producer, Jay. DJ Jay. What's up? <laughs> I love it. I mean, it's getting me pumped up. You know, waiting to start a new year. So let me let me tell you where we're going with the 2021 um, season, season two. We had a last season, we had a lot of extraordinary guests, and we really didn't get a feel on where we was going. It was just introducing guests with tremendous stories. 2021 is a little bit different. We're going to understand several topics going into this season, and one of the re- things that we're going to talk about is your why. Why are you here? What's your purpose? How do you stay in that, still that beast frame of mind? And we're going to talk to people that are still doing it, that still know their reason why, and still carrying that beast uh, mentality. And more importantly, knowing that this is a time for change. Like the great late Sam Cooke said, a change is going to come. At the Andre the Beast show, that's what this is about in 2021. A change is going to come. And it's going to come with me bringing you informative guests, informative topics, and letting you know that you have to be the first one to cause change. With that said, we did a, um, a series last season called The Expendables. And like I said, as I said again, don't take that word lightly. Expendables doesn't mean that you're throwing people out or you're throwing things out. It means we're reinventing or they still doing it to this day. Um, I'm trying to think how to introduce this next guest because trust me, uh, look, look at these, these arms. Now, I showed him how to get these arms, so don't be fooled by what you see. This is one of his inventions that he made, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But look at the form. Look at the arms on this guy. Just total phenomenal. Now, remember, I trained him, so those arms didn't come just naturally. He's laughing at you when you say that. I know. I know. (laughs) I know. Ladies and gentlemen, in studio by way of Florida, the U, Miami, anything South Beach, five-time Mr. Olympia, one of the greatest bodybuilders of all times, Mr. Quiet Storm himself. Vince Taylor. Vince, what's up, dog? <laughs> <laughs> Started showing a woman on stage there. 
<laughs> Facebook <laughs> autoplay. Hey, what's I up? I intro like that. I'm feeling blessed now, man. This is awesome. How you doing? Bro? I'm doing great. Hey, you know what? You're feeling blessed. I'm feeling blessed. Jay, you feeling blessed? I'm feeling blessed, brother. All right, then that's all good. You know, we just saw a great video, and man, you're still looking great. We won't even go with the age, but you're still looking great. Pumping up weights and new inventions, and you know, we're going to get into straight up real talk. You got into bodybuilding. I'm a guess about the same age I did. What, 19 years old? Tell the viewers how you got into the sport, and then we're gonna just wing it from that moment on. Sounds good. I actually started bodybuilding, man, at the age of 27. Wow. Okay. Uh, I liked bodybuilding when I was in teenager mode, but uh, you know that was just part of the few. <laughs> I actually started when I was living in Berlin, Germany, uh, playing basketball like I would normally do on the weekends at the American facilities. Right. Uh, but uh, one day I saw some people walking upstairs, man. I went up to the weight room. It's like, wow, this is pretty cool. I like to do some weight. Met a couple of brothers, one from South Florida, okay, one from uh, Columbia, South Carolina, my man, Ron Emmons. Right, um, right. Man, he's an MP. Dude was awesome, natural bodybuilder, had that chest on him. And I saw him working out. I'm like, man, I'm going to give it this on the weekends. Right. Some muscles. <laughs> I hooked up with that brother, man. That's where I started, Berlin, Germany. Uh, man, 27 years old. So what took you to Berlin, Germany? I mean, um, you definitely was born in the United States, but what took you to the path to Berlin, Germany? Because I know when I started my bodybuilding journey, naturally, you was one of those icons. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like Arno and the Luferinos, mm-hmm. but the, the bottom line is I, I still have to look at my – you know, my peers, and you was definitely one of them. But what led you to go to Berlin, Germany from the United States? Well, I had just got out of um, high school when I graduated in 84. Mm-hmm. Uh, 71, I'm sorry, 74. And um, I was trying to go to college down in North Carolina, uh, dorm North Carolina, actually, mm-hmm. trying to get down there on a little, uh, seek out some education. That didn't work out too well. So living in Maryland outside of Baltimore, I was corresponding with my brother, who was also in the service at the time, right. and he was in Germany, mm-hmm. in Berlin. Uh, over the summer, man, I had said to myself, I mean, I wrote him, and he was like, man, you gotta come over here and visit. Like, wow, let's try that. Right. And 19 years old, haven't left too many places in Maryland at all. Mm-hmm. Got on that plane, Pan Am, man, hit hit <laughs> the skies, for friendly skies to Berlin. Saw everything open up from the moment I got on that plane to the time I, I, I met my brother at the airport and spent 21 days inside of Berlin behind the Iron Curtain, right. mind you, in the 1970s. So the wall was still up, am I correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so what did you see that was still What did you see that was different at 19 years old knowing that that wall was still up? I mean, you got a first inside view. What, what was your impression coming from United States to a situation that two people are trying to come at terms with one another and be, be able to mm-hmm. coexist. There you go. Um, that's a beautiful question, man, because that was the essence of my arrival, pretty much. Mm-hmm. My brother, uh, prior to me going there, he would call, well, we would talk sometime. He would be like, it's crazy over here, man. You got these Russians going around, you know, and uh, you can't go here. You're behind the wall. You need flag orders, different orders to get outside the box. And look, the wall's so high, they got to pipe music in back here, you know? And right. I'm like, it's like crazy. And it had me on edge right. as far as going to Germany. But I got to resent because one thing about that whole uh, history, I've been a, a follower of that history of Germany. Right. You know, from, from Hitler up 
up until and to find myself in that atmosphere with right. all that history. Right. I mean, it was a place to be for me. It was so exciting because it was so challenging from day one. You know, when I'm there, I didn't know what to expect. Were you My brother scared? told me? Were you scared? Was any moment in your life were there certain obstacles that you was literally afraid of that your brother said, "Look, let me pull you to the side." These are things that you, as a as an African American, in mm-hmm. in this situation, this is what you need to first be aware of. Were there certain precautions that your brother pulled you to the side and said, "Look, this is what you got to do first." Well, he did that on my request to return back to Berlin. Okay. <laughs> uh, prior to that, we had that twenty-one day vacation. Right. And let me tell you, from the stories he told me flying over there, and by the time I got there. You know, vividly, I recall flying in over the airport, seeing all these gray roofs, dull. It was in the November. It was the July, August time frame, I believe. Right. And it was like uh, fall. Mm-hmm. So it was like musty, eerie. Uh, the way he described it to me, you know, the cloak and daggerness of this place. I was right. like, you know what to expect from Berlin. Right. Until I got there, I'm I'm already huddled around the American complex where he was living on quarters. Right. So when I had an opportunity to go downtown and just actually see Germany the first time and like three days later, I recall this trip, you know, we got in the underground, we broke downtown to the, um, uh, man, downtown Berlin, I know the Kapustendam. Man, when we came up from the underground and right in the center of the city, I was told and what I was expecting to see from Berlin was a lot of, you know, uh, communists or a lot of, uh, oh wow, just, just mythic stuff, you know? When man, you- I came up that escalator, Right. And all I saw was neon side. Looked like I was in New York. <laughs> I saw cafes that stretched along the city blocks, uh, models. I saw vehicles. You know, you name it. There was plush vehicles all over the place. Beautiful people. It looked like it was just a fashion center of the world. Coming from what my brother was telling me when I got to Berlin. Right. Then what I saw was like, oh my god, this is unbelievable. And it was just an experience, man. It was just something I never expected. And it was. Oh wow! Something I just so, had to stay stay with. Uh, so twenty you days was amazing. You, you didn't see all the the, the 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 way it was portrayed. You didn't see all the people walking around with guns and just nope. throwing bottles. There, there was actually a beautiful side to your uh, trip over there, and that's probably one reason why you stayed over there because it, exactly it wasn't what was pr- pr- portrayed. So I'll tell you. Okay. Yeah, uh, what I saw there when I got there. What I came to learn quickly was it was, you know, our status of forces uh, country, you know, the French, the Brits and American forces. So the allies, that city was the was the safest city you want to be in on Earth, pretty much. Really? Because carrying a gun, Germans didn't play that. If you carry a knife, they will beat you down with a knife. So (laughs) I mean, no, no, no. It wasn't all that scared about anything because this place was secure. So, Vince, let's talk about your family, you know. And I know, you know where I'm about ready to go with this. When I was in high school, let me give you a little little trip. When I was in high school, I was a track and field runner, you know, actually state track and field runner. And, uh, you know, when social media surfaced and, you know, you haven't seen your high school and college friends in forever, you know, new generation, <laughs> new time. And they see you and they go, wow, you're a, you're a, you're a professional bodybuilder. And I tell people, I said the most tripped out part about that journey was it was a tripped out journey for me. Uh, 
actually went to the Olympic trials and and got injured, got into, like you said, I met a guy, and he's like, hey, man, you got genetics. Why don't you do this? My first indication, can I make mm-hmm. money? <laughs> I was like, I was like, can I make some money doing this? He was like, yeah, you know. So uh, uh, now you move forward, and people see you, and I'm the I'm the guy that got an elf in weightlifting. Seriously, only elf I've ever had in my life was in weightlifting, and now this is what I do for a living. So with that said, how did your family gravitate, not your kids? We'll talk about that in a minute. How did your inner circle family gravitate to all of a sudden you decided to go into the bodybuilding career and not only go into it but thrive at it and achieving five Mr. Olympias? And let's talk about that because people don't understand what determination and what prestige that Olympia championship means. Take, take us down that journey real quick. Um, even starting from the beginning with the family, when I got into bodybuilding, like I said, in Germany, mm-hmm. uh, well into my 20s, uh, my mother played a huge role in that because, man, bless her soul, man. She passed on a you know, while ago. But being able to um, have her tell me stories about people calling the house when I won the national championships. Right. Uh, all, all around the country, the world, actually, you know. Can I speak to Vince Taylor? You know, it was such a platform for her. I wanted she she wanted to take on my manager spot, you know, in America. So <laughs> okay. I'm like, okay, that'd be cool, mom. My mom was one of those. She was a saint, man. She talked to everybody, man. I mean, you know, wow. I can't say too much more about moms. Uh, but they were grab they gravitated toward what I did because it was just something that was a highlight. You know, hey, Buck, you, you know, your son is doing this, and look, he won the show. Well, she had a fear of uh, flying, right. okay, in elevators, for example. And when I found out that I wanted to do that, one of my major goals was to be Mr. America. That was the very first thing. Right. You know, on the day one, 13 or 14, when I saw the Three Stooges on TV, Sunday matinee, Hercules and the Three Stooges, when I saw that, I wanted to be Hercules. That's <laughs> my, mind, my mind came together way back then. So you speed that up from 13 years old to yeah. 27. And now I'm on. I'm ready to go on stage and I'm going to compete um, for the Mr. America contest in Atlantic City. Okay. So my mom, you know, she was like, oh, I want to go. got to be there. So she traveled to Atlantic City. I won the show. I won the Mr. America. They were, my mom and dad were so proud. And the biggest thrill I got was she got on that elevator at the Showboat Hotel in Atlantic City and came up to the 10th floor because she would never be on the elevator. Right. She rode up with me, dad, and the trophy. Right. You know, the whole way she was just praying. She was just praying. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it was, it was just a beautiful thing. She was involved in that because she loved the conversations that people were calling the home about. Right. Uh, she would handle that if I was back in Germany. You know, dad, he was just as proud as he wanted to be. He used to box back in the day. And was he golden gloves? Was he golden gloves? Um, not dad. He back in the forties, I guess, when he was over there in the army doing his things. But my older brother in the military, now he was golden gloves. Okay. He was uh, all Ustra, all AFC, all all that. You know, that was, that was his whole thing in box in, in the army. <laughs> okay. You know, he was CD, special detachment to uh, for boxing and stuff like that. Right. So uh, that that type of, and of course he was an athlete. Right. I think in high school, he ran track football fastest ever, you know. But for me and bodybuilding, that brought my dad in. They were just happy to see me doing something. I mean, the joy of them going to the supermarket. Right. And I was telling the magazine, your son's pictures on them covered over there. And they're 
And, you know, dad would say, man, I just put my chest out. I feel so proud. <laughs> that's your son. That's your son. And that's why, that was the driving point for me. Right. You know, right. To have them so fulfilled with so much um, pleasure. Right. Seeing that, he felt great about it. it. That was steam for me to want to continue to do it on, to have them in that type of receptive limelight. Where it was something to hold. You know, I can hear by your voice, you know, mothers are definitely those that that apple pie that uh, that the sons and the daughters want to yeah. want to shine. So how much of an impact was she? God rest her soul. How much of an impact was she oh. to your to 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 you in your career and and moving forward to this day? How much of her how much of her is still in you? It has to be a lot. Total. Mom and mom embedded in us from childhood on, man, how to treat people, what to expect from yourself in life. Uh, her biggest thing was you can kill a person with a smile. You know, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. She, she was, she was just that person. You know, from, right. from the local church, everybody knew my mom. Mom would help you. Oh my gosh! I mean, it was just she was just such a pillar, right, of that type of humanity. And, and love, it's just amazing, man. So those those values that she instilled in us about being kind, being being thoughtful, being uh, just obeying God, and just trying to be respectful, you know. And those things go a long way. You know, I hear she had one little thing. She, my mom's like five foot five, five foot four, and she would always say, "I'm a small potato, but I'm hard to peel." That's my mom. I like I like that saying. So. Your, your your brother, you you now he has to have some type of impact on you because my brother went to the to the both of my brothers went to the military and I remember when my mm-hmm. brother went to the Marines I raised my baby brother and he went to the Marines and, and his first phone call this was really touching to me his first phone call that they let you make in the Marines was to me and I remember him wow. like sound like he was crying he said I want to come home. And as a older brother and a, and, and a father figure, because we, we lost our parents, I didn't know what to say or do. And I remember saying, you know what, you're going to be all right. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna triumph through this. And he went to Desert Storm, and I remember him coming home at 20-some years old, a sergeant. And people were saluting him and mm-hmm. stuff. And I'm like, dude, you know, what's up with this? They said, dude, I'm a, I'm a sergeant. And I was like, okay, so the the – Part of me that was really proud, I was even more proud of that he went to the service and he became he came back a man. So your brother, tell me about his impact to you growing up, taking you to Berlin and and does he still navigate your career to to uh, uh, so to speak? Wow, that 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 was awesome. Yeah, my brother passed away too uh, shortly after my mom uh, a few years ago from. Uh, cancer you know that was something that's crazy you know still uh, that that's a void that you never you know right but uh mike my again i looked up to my brother because he was that he was that it you know i guess all little brothers and older brother i watched him in high school right the things he tried to emulate some of the things he did stories you know i'm trying to go on first newspaper routes with him and we little (laughs) (laughs) i know (laughs) <laughs> I'm walking out there. It's super cold in Maryland, man. Yeah. I got my little tennis shoes on. And he, my feet got so frozen three or four o'clock in the morning trying to get from one corner to the next. Yeah. I'm out here. I can literally see him now picking me up on his back, carrying right. me through the snow, trying to get me back home, warm me up, you know, because 
it was to be out there. But I wanted to be there. He kept telling, I told you, don't come out here. I told you. So it was just that persistence of him um, that was always there. And then shortly after that, I think he kind of went to the, uh, joined the Army. Right. So then we had that distance relationship. You know, right. but from growing up, he was there not all the time, but most of the time. Right. But when I was able to get back with him that deeply, I think is when his advice came to me looking out for me was when I was in Berlin, when he did show me around it, everything. My decision 20 days later after about going back over there, and I didn't care if I had to join the army to go back to Berlin. I <laughs> he was going. To back over there. I had such a great time, right? Um, when I was going over, that's the call I got from him. He says, dude, don't come over here. I'm leaving next week. Okay, You're, I'm leaving here. I, I, my time is up. You coming over here to this not vacation anymore? Right. You know, you're right. away on your vacation, but don't. This ain't for you over here, man. Right. But he, for me, he was dead wrong because I, so I wanted to go and I went. But that was his thing to me. You know, don't, don't come over here, bro. When you became professional, when you when you became professional, what was your brother's? What was your brother's? thought process now because now you're a grown man you've uh you learned you took their advice you've achieved you rose now what now now what happens what you know what's the what's the impact of family now him particularly it was because he was still stationed you know he was still in the army moving around different locations i'm there and now in berlin permanently right uh for where i saw it so we didn't really didn't have that type of conversation anymore. You know, this was that meeting during the vacation era. I went back, he came back over this way. So that, you know, life begins. So right. I'm pretty much on my own, learning, growing up in a foreign country, uh, getting my legs under me. As you said, I'm only 20 years old at the time. You know, um, a lot of viewers don't know. I think we talked about this before we went went on to the um, tape in here. Um, Every time I saw you in the muscle magazines, you a lot of times you were overseas. Um, what was it that was so different with you doing your training and your uh, your lifestyle? Your your career is your career as a professional bodybuilder. And a lot of people don't understand that as a professional bodybuilder, we kind of make our calendars, so to speak. Right. We we kind of we dictate what shows we want to do. And uh, we work around that. And I'm pretty sure you had another job outside of that. So tell me what what, what was your life as well as being a professional bodybuilder? Because a lot of people think being a bodybuilder, we'll talk about that. A lot of people think that bodybuilding, <laughs> because you're a professional athlete, don't mean you make millions of dollars. So that's we'll get into that. Yeah. But you're overseas. I'm seeing the, the magazines and I noticed every time, you know, your contact information came up, even back then, we didn't have social media people. We had a magazine. The contact was Germany or whatever. What was your life right. over there? What were you doing over there? And what made that lifestyle different than you transitioning it back to the United States? Good question. Um, there was life itself. You know, when I got past that experience of going over there to Berlin for that vacation, mm -hmm. and then I found out I wanted to stay over there, going back over there. And that's a whole different world. Right. Okay, that's, this is like, what are you doing now? So I went back over there trying to, as a, you know, it's funny I see it today because now it was like an immigration status to stay there versus a U.S. passport is the key around the world, get you anywhere. Right. right? So I'm taking a freedom that's such with my passport and American civilization citizenship. 
I'm going to a country where now I got to have a visa to stay and work. Okay. So it became a little different approach as far as life itself. Right. Right. So now I'm over there, uh, can't speak the language. I'm looking for employment to stay over there because those was the things you must, but you got to show you got employment if you want to stay longer. So now you got to be able to incorporate yourself in this European community, especially Germany. You right. got to speak the language, do some work. And, you know, this is none of my attributes. Okay? Right. I'm just 19 <laughs> years old. I'm over here looking for a place to stay. Right. So I was able to get a job, try to get a job on the German economy, you know. Uh, but again, that was one of those three months tourist visa type situations. Uh, being around the military, then it was AFIs, you know, armed right. forces. And then often armed forces itself. Okay. So I was able to get a job at the local PX area where I was working at the service station, you mm-hmm. know, and then that's a flip back from where I'm at going to leaving America, going to uh, Germany. It's like, all right, you just graduated from high school, you got you, and now you're going over to another country, you're starting your life and stuff, and the first job you're going to get is working at the gas station. I mean, <laughs> go figure that. <laughs> you put in 12 years of high school to go work. <laughs> Yes, that was at the American sector. Right. Um, so I was around all the Americans because, again, being over there, not not in the army, I'm living on the economy. Right. Know? Right. And now I don't even know what this city looks like transportation wise. You know, I'm just learning that 20 days ago. Right. But my point is, I'm off in the economy in a world you don't speak the language, which was so thrilling at one moment. Because I will walk into a room and be just Germans. Okay, right. so you know you're done. Right. You can turn around for 360, and all you're going to speak is German, and whether you know it or right. not. Now, 20 minutes away, if I get on the uh, transportation system and go down to the American sector, now I'm around many, many America. You know, I'm around the, the, the base and everything else. So, mm-hmm. if you can live in that area in that sector, that would have been good. But I live outside that sector, so there's hours of the day where I'm totally Americanized. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I got on that uh, bus or that underground system to go back home, I'm in a world that if I just closed my eyes, I wouldn't know where I was. Couldn't nobody talk to me because they don't speak my English. And nobody's re- reaching ni- out. This is Germany. At so, 19 man, years that old. That kind of back and forth was exciting, man. At 19 you years old, was there any fear? Was there any fear at mm-hmm. 19? Was there any fears at 19 years old? You're now on your own. And you just said, you know, oh. you're here, you're here. Me personally, those were the fears, yeah, but that's where the challenging part, okay. Because, right? like I said, I know I can get on this bus right now, and no nobody will know anything about me, won't know, say anything about me. I can't get no help, I can't ask, you know. But at the next second, I can turn that around. Mm. So, that things happen, you know what it would take. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just coming into that environment, man, learning that whole community and system, it was just a just a just growing up, just growing up. Um. With that said, let me let me let me spin it this way. You had a lot of role models, a lot of experience, a lot of stuff that nineteen year olds, eighteen year olds don't get a chance to experience, especially during the time that we grew up. To go overseas and live and do what you did, that's that's awesome. Now, yeah, you're back in the United States. So you're a professional bodybuilder. We'll get into the bodybuilding career towards the end mm-hmm. now you got a family of your own tell me what that's like now you're trying to instill in them the same values in a time where things aren't the same they don't go outside and play like we did they uh 
have the right. the internet. The world is now at the touch of a button. Values aren't the same because accessibility becomes effortless. And when you have effortless things, mm-hmm. you forget the traits and values that generations before had to do to get to where they're at today. How did you deal with your family now? And you definitely raised some great kids. Tell me about that. I got you going. I got you going all kind of ways, on. <laughs> Yeah, oh, you, you start re- recouping things that you know made you where you where you go today and made you what you are today. I look back at you know as my young family uh, and my wife. You know when I met her in Berlin, and um, we we fi- I finally got it together enough to make sense. Says my era in Berlin time wise was coming to an end. Right, you know, I live in, I'm living it. I'm feeling it. So now I'm coming back home. And the young lady that I met at the time there as well, uh, uh, in Germany, you know, my wife today, Randy or Veranda, uh, you know, it was amazing because now you, you're finding uh, compatibility. And when I came here, came back home and she joined me shortly afterwards. And then we had our first son, uh, Vince Jr. You know, he's 27. <laughs> right now. Um, and then two years later, we had Isaiah. Okay. Um, it was just the fact of rearing, you know, uh, from the understanding of myself, you know, her involvement and everything molded our family tree of education and upbringing. So I lean heavily on the fact of what my morals were versus in association with hers. And together we reared, we nurtured, we brought forth, you know, our kids in the best manner we could. So it was just dealing with just the everyday uh, assembly of life here, right. you know. Uh, she too was uh, also living in Germany. Her, her mom's German father, he had passed away uh, years before, a young age, 40 years old. Um, so it was just, you know, two people living, learning each other, rearing a family, and then dealing with your immediate situations. Right. So we brought along from our upbringings was just cultivated in directionally, you know, for our kids. And they came out great because of just, it was just being that one magical word, you know, you want to be respectful. Right. You want to be respected, respect, you right. know, and, and that's what we try to install in our kids. And from that small little seed of growth and the direction and values, I mean, they, they just bloomed up prosperous. I mean, I'm so proud of my boys. It's just, you know, and the word and the signature to that is when you have people talk to you about your kids. Yeah. You know, I see myself as you were talking about how we grew up. Right. You know, right I see right. myself when I moved down here and how the young kids were talking to me at the time. This is 1992, 1993. Right. You know, how they, hey, Vince, how you doing? Hey, if you owe to me, it's sir. It's right. man. <laughs> Mr. How old are you? I mean, that's how I was brought up to and see it, right? Right. So when I these kids around there would come to me like that, sometimes I caught myself not speaking to them because that's what I, <laughs> you know, is respect. Right. But my right. kids, they got that. They understood that. And that was kind of like that the only rule of thumb that made the most sense. Right. You get that, you get virtue. Your kids recognize you as a professional bodybuilder. And um Somebody asked me, this is this is a true story, Vince. I don't have none of my trophies. And I used to do 15 to 20 shows a year, which was mm-hmm. pretty much unheard of. But I knew how to diet and so forth and so forth. But 
when I got older, and I realized a lot of things when you get older, you look at life totally different. You do. And I looked, and I, every time I would move to another apartment or a house or whatever, I had to carry your trophy room. You got one at your house. <laughs> and uh, we all do. And I got to look, and I said, man, half of the truck is trophies. So I remember, yeah. I remember going, you know what? I just I took the name badges off and I just threw them in the trash. And somebody asked me a question. They said, uh, "Why don't you give them to your kids?" And I thought about that for a minute. And I said, "You know what? They got their own life, their own journeys. If they choose to follow my footsteps, I'm I'm, I'm happy. But they may not want to do what I did, you know. But at least I left that legacy for them to to, to go. Now you got your." Your sons, we'll get into them in a minute because it's all about the you. We'll talk about that in a minute. How did they feel growing up knowing that their father was a professional athlete, bodybuilder, which is a very different kind of sport? A lot of people don't understand. It's a very different kind of sport. And and mm-hmm. you're being judged by people, but you're competing against other individuals. So it's not like football or basketball. You put in what you put out, and everybody puts in a – Everybody gets on that stage feels like they put 100%, but at the end of the day, it's only first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. So now your kids are looking at you. How did they look at their superhero? I'm getting you I'm getting you coming. Look, I got my gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you're throwing them at me. Um, it's funny because I had to laugh when one of the best examples of that was like people would ask me, ask my kids, and I would hear the answer. Well, what should dad do? My dad's on stage with what? He's, what did my son say? With with, with drawers on. With, with, <laughs> <laughs> oh. What about women underwear? I think he said women underwear. <laughs> <laughs> they 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 like. I guess they um they were brought more into it even younger as as they were growing up in it when I would have them at the events because that was that was my thing you know I wanted my family there win or lose this mm-hmm. is you know what we were doing as a unit uh because I was winning it was just that much better you know and all the characteristics of winning and people coming up to you all the time everybody want to take pictures and over the years you know people would we would be eating someplace right and people come up to the table want some pictures and autographs stuff like that and to me that was just bugging me from jump street because I'm like I ain't no better than you. You want my right. picture? Right. you just won the nationals. Right. Well, that's okay. That's a show, but we we cool, you know. You want my picture? <laughs> you know, it was just something. Oh wow, that portion of it. I was glad that they saw that. Right. They saw all the benefit. It's negativity, right. you know, because when they saw people who don't like you or say certain things because of how you look, for example, and they were old enough to get that. Right. You know. So for them, it was really cool. Uh, no pressures at all, I don't believe, because uh, Isaiah, personally, he was a track guy, you know. My other son, Vince, he wasn't really into a lot of athletes, athletics because he had a knee issue, okay. you know. He had a, almost, not hereditary, but I recall growing up, my knees were almost as if they my, my patella felt like I could move it around. So right. I always my knee felt like I always would shift. Right. This was back in high school. Right. So my son had pretty much the same problem, you know. Um, so he didn't get too much involved in sports. But where Isaiah came along, athletic as well, and he played some sports, little football, track was his love. So <laughs> undoubtedly, you know, he did extremely well in track. Uh-huh. <laughs> Found their own footsteps. Okay, yeah. He was seeing his his applause when he was, 
you know, state champ, district champ, city champ, you know. He was, he won it, you know what I mean? So living through that with him, I could see how he was having his experiences with me because I had every experience with him watching him run at 100 meters. Right. 200, four by one. Whoa. You thought I was out there running with them, man. It's just <laughs> that type of uh, involvement, right? Right. And my wife the same way. She's a track star running in Germany. Right. And again, she's born and raised uh, in Alaska. Alaska. Lived in Germany, in Berlin. Okay. That's where I met them. Uh, her pet father, they stayed in Germany. And, uh, and that's when we met her. But she, by right, she was fast. Right. I mean, she didn't lose a race on her, you know, in her high school years and stuff like that there. Genetics. But I know where I got his speed from. Genetics. Yeah. <laughs> Genetics. Yeah. You went from, you're, 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 you're born and raised Maryland. You're born and raised Maryland. But you're down in Miami. You're in Coral, Coral Beach. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about the University of Miami to you. You know, we, we're we representing the, the orange. You got the shirts on. <laughs> what led you to go there? Why did you pick the destination of Miami? Okay. That was an easy one because I had just won the, uh, the Night of the Champions. I remember that show. So my question was, okay, that's your first pro show. Now you're professional. And now we asked earlier about that career. Right. The move, the move was, but do you know that bodybuilding is USA? So right. pretty much I would have the dilemma living in Germany at the time and just turning profession in 1989. It was like, okay, to get the work that I wanted, the promoters were hiring me from America, which of course I have my mom in the middle, you know, she knows about all this stuff. This is my man. So she's arranging stuff for me there. This is new to us, right? Right, right. So I'm in Berlin and mom arranges some stuff. I fly back home, knock them out, fly back to Germany. So then the money that you were making, the money I was making in Berlin as a regular civilian, just working at the gas station, I would leave that position a few years into it, 86, 87, and I would work at an indoor firing range, which is known as a, it's a political uh, area in Berlin. It's the Doughboy City. You know, that was the uh, urban firing fighting city, right. you know, which they, they again, Berlin is a political place, man, for that era and that time. Um, so at this training facilities, I was a specialist to show military uh, companies on soldiers as well, indoor firing techniques. Okay, as a weapons specialist. Right. So that involved itself into the uh, uh, evaluation of the Army's artillery, Army's um, ability to bring in new weapon systems, stuff like that. So this this firing range turned into a computerized firing range, which turned into a maximization firing range that incorporated all the uh, uh, battle military. We had military uh, cannons. We had our taps, we had all kinds of training mechanisms. So basically, I was involved in that. So if you take this this training area, Parks Range was one of the areas we worked at. Firing Range, I was almost Doughboy City. Mm-hmm. If anybody ever does any uh, history on the Doughboy City, you know the Doughboy and what that means. So urban fighting was early there. Urban fighting is the thing nowadays. Right. And that's what I was at, controlling areas like that. So that technician wise I'm a weapons specialist also now I'm a new bodybuilder so the money I'm making on the regular versus what I was made on the show 
made you say, wow, bodybuilding will pay off. Right, you know, right. I think I'm starting to bodybuilding to change my life. Right. That was the goal. Changed my life through bodybuilding. Okay. And that's why it was, okay, you can stay in Germany or you can go to America. Right. Bodybuilding capital is California. Right. But there's earthquakes in California. I ain't think that. <laughs> but then Florida, I went down to see the Nationals in Florida. Okay. Fell in love with it. I'm like, I'm going to Florida. So <laughs> six months later, I decided we're going to move to Florida, baby. <laughs> did she, did, was she took care of my goat muscle beach? Was she like down with that? I mean, was there any hesitation? No, just not just, at all. Um, it was just I was so excited about going to number one. And when I asked my wife to join me, well, but my girlfriend at the time, like, hey, we'll start a new life together. You know, let's let's move back to America. She had her head right hesitations. I'm a, I've been in Germany most of my life as well. Her life included. And now it's like, well, we're going to go to, I'm going to follow you. <laughs> I'm looking for the best. I, I know I wasn't going back to Maryland. That was right. number one. <laughs> I was going back to one horse town in, in Hobby Grace, Maryland. But okay. I wasn't, California was kind of, eh, New York was like, mm, I don't know about New York. Right. Hey, Florida was the spot. And it was the best choice. Let's talk about your bodybuilding career before we wrap up. Um, I got to ask this. Out of there are so many great bodybuilders. A lot of people don't know. There's not there's there's not that much difference between first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. Yeah. It's usually just a, it's usually just it's really stupid. It's a point is what it is. Somebody might have felt the discretion of the judge. Some judge might have said you're not big enough. This judge might say you're not conditioned enough. It's political. But outside of the political stand, we we'll get into that in a minute. Out of all the guys you competed against, who was the one guy that just you look at yourself and you go, "Damn, that motherfucker was like really hard to beat." Oh man, just about all of them. I never considered myself um, gunning, for example, for anyone mm-hmm. because it, the stage is already set. When you get to that show, somebody's already won it. You know, right, right. Uh, history's won it. So when I popped up, it was Lee Haney. Right. You know, it was like, man, you ain't gonna beat that dude. I don't care how many. Coca Cola's you drink, or, 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 or protein bars you eat, you know, you're gonna be that came a whole new different game for me. Um, so I never had a target on anybody, right? Or anybody I thought I could win. It was just like, hmm, if you want to show, and all those accolades came with it, right? right, right. There's a magazine, right? right. There's a people, there's you know, there's some money right on that spot, you know, right? That something was pretty, man, that was pretty appetizing. Right. So I'm like, I'm all for that. Right. And as long as I could win, that was cool. But then you noticed when you got into bodybuilding, then you start seeing what it's like behind the, the scenes. I won the show last week and made you a pro. Right. Now this is what pro bodybuilding is about. And that's not a pretty picture because all behind all the smiles and the sweats and glams, it's like when that show was over, how much money did you win for the very purpose of your survival? Right. You right. need to make money. Right. What? Is the business aspect of bodybuilding? That's when, the eye opener. When and and we we talked about that the business side of that, and you're kind of right. We at that time, I guess we all was blinded by the the magazines yeah. and what what was offered. But then when you got older and you looked at it, you go, "Wow, okay, well it cost me this amount of money for gas. My food mm-hmm. cost me this amount, but the paycheck." Is ten thousand, but if I don't win, I don't get shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
and I'm a pro. So I mean, how does that was the real reality? Yeah, it's it's kind of like knowing what we know now. Would we had chose a different thing, or do you look at it and go? Do you look at it and go? Well, damn, you know what? They started an organization and they got fat. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we didn't get fat. They got fat. Exactly uh, right. We didn't get, you didn't, healthcare. If you had to change something now, like say, for instance, your grandkids come up and they see your pictures and they go, I want to do this. What kind of advice would you tell them now? Because clearly the organization, mm-hmm. I don't believe that it's changed. I believe it's still the same, the same concept. I mean, when do... Same people are there. Yeah, the same people are there. So when does when do other people's eyes really open up and say, "Do I really?" Because now look at it. Every social media that you see, every female now it's really becoming a female sport. You know, yeah. because it's more money in it. It's more money. Okay, well, you look good in a swimsuit. Oh, you got the potential. You know, so now it's all over the thing. But there's a bigger political side of this that people need to understand that. Individuals like you, you didn't get a retirement plan. You had to basically go out now and reinvent what you thought was going to be your career. Tell me about that. Yeah, and you find that easily. You'll find that out if you're smart enough. And that's what I tell most people nowadays so I can look back and say this. When you notice that you didn't win that show, when you notice what your status is the day after, what your money status is, uh, what's your expectations of future in this sport look competition you got yourself involved in? That's 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 a checkbox. Right. You need to check that box right now as a warning sign. Right. Because what you receive right there, it won't change unless you change it. That's by one winning or finding other ways to generate money by what you are doing. Right. Okay. Because right. if you're thinking this bodybuilding is going to give you the money to survive. You're, you don't know about the traps in it. You know? <laughs> That's the thing about it. Because what you see is that, man, this guy won Arnold Classic thousand dollars. You know, it's like, wow. I look at that nowadays and go, I won the Arnold Classic. I won sixty thousand dollars. <laughs> right, <laughs> okay? right, right. Now, that is if you won. But if you didn't win that show, now you're getting the third of that. The guys who came in five through ten, it's like, why are you even bodybuilding? Right, right. And that's the reality of the sport. Even now, it never changed because the top three are the ones that are going to make some money. Right. To be saying, I'm in this thing. After that, man, you better find some, some kind of make things happen. Reinvent yourself through uh, different avenues to get that attention of what you do, but to make your way through. Me, personally, was, man, if I don't win the show, then me guest posting. Let me go out here and find that money. Right. I remember Sean Ray and I spoke about that way back in the day. He had told me too. He said, Vince, you don't make no money on stage. You make your money off the stage. And you know he's 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 doing he's doing phenomenal. He's one of the bodybuilders I'm trying to get on the show because he was one of those brothers that are bodybuilders and brother that you saw that his mindset was far beyond there he knew what he was going to get from them because he saw the political stance i i yep. followed his career well your back's not big enough so he gets his back big enough well you're not big enough here you're not big enough here and he probably i'm not speaking for him but if i'm with him at that time i'm like okay well what the fuck can i do to make money then because you ain't giving it to me you're knocking me down every time i get on stage you know and now he's doing all kind of things and we had a couple other bodybuilders on here that have you know reinvented and don't get me wrong i'm not knocking the sport the sport is great but it's kind of like as you get older you realize 
it wasn't the the cake that you thought it would be. There came a lot of right. strings that as it un, untethered, you go, wow, you know, and you now re, have to rethink yourself. You've done yeah. that on the rethinking yourself, and I think we just showed that clip. Tell me about this new product, and let me explain why I like this product, people. Um, I teach, per, I do personal training, and I, I, I got injured, so this might lead into your, your product. I got injured. I got chemical burnt, and my whole fingers and stuff were like, like this, and I had to go through extensive rehab, and they was like, you'll never be able to to lift weights again and I was like man this is like okay what do I do and so I went in the gym and I took a bar and I I, I didn't put no weight on it because I couldn't close it. my hands were literally sweat and I started mm-hmm. lifting like this with no grip and I said man I'm really feeling my muscles yeah. engaging like I've never felt before so I said, okay, well, I'm going to start doing this in all my basic movements, but I'm not going to use any weights. I'm going to just use the apparatus and start to feel an open grip concept. Mm-hmm. And I saw the transformation happen. And then I was able to get stronger. I was able to add weight resistance. But on top of that, the most important thing was not not necessarily being able to add on the weight to add resistance, but I was able to isolate muscle groups in ways that I've never done before. I realized I didn't need a lot of weight to make muscle engagement happen or muscle growth happen. And I was like, this is phenomenal. So I started doing what is called a thumbless grip. But you came up with something that's even better than that, that's based on the same concept, the Vince grips. Tell Tell me about that, Vince. Vince Taylor grips, which I call the bag. <laughs> Shot him right there, baby. I love him. That's the website, man. The grips themselves was an engineered concept, an idea that just took advantage of um, a natural occurrence, right? Right. I had, like you, suffered something that put me in a position to have uh, have those um, signs jump right out at you. Right. Muscle isolation, muscle contraction. Uh, I tore and it fell off a ladder on my roof trying to change some security lights in my home. And as I was getting off the ladder, shortly before the Mr. Olympia contest, and as I was getting off the ladder, I spun around and go back down. And man, that ladder just slid right down from under me. So I'm grabbing the top of my garage and just boom, 240 pounds hitting that concrete. Wow. So I'm raising myself with my arm and wind up tearing my tricep. Mm. Now, throughout that, um, throughout that injury, it takes me back to a, in my career, right? When I started bodybuilding in 1984, uh, 1986, 85, 86, I was getting my feet wet. I won a show, Mr. Berlin. I was doing some first time exhibitions, you know, as a bodybuilder in Germany. Right. And uh, went to one event, my idol showed up, John Brown. You know, he was also, the story of him and me in Germany, you know, explains itself, but he showed up that night. I wanted to be on stage with him first time ever right you know um, so that was great i'm back stage warm to go and pose and uh the guy called me and said this come on you're ready in two minutes said, okay i'm happy i don't know what you gotta understand this is my debut night i'm guest posing uh, 
first time ever, my idol, the greatest pose in the world, John Brown, John Brown is yeah. out there doing his thing. <laughs> you know? So this that's the story of that night. I'm out here with my boy. I was warming up, man, and tore my bicep. I picked up a seven and a half kilo dumbbell, and I did last 10 reps, and next thing I know, I heard this ripping towel sound. And my breath, my left body, right from the tendon. And I'm back, I'm sitting back in that back room, and John came off stage and said, Taylor, what's wrong, man? And I showed him, I said, man, my bicep, I'm just shaking like that, you know? Yeah. I was like, he said, oh, man, Taylor, you tore it. I'm like, what? What does that mean? <laughs> okay, what, what does that mean? <laughs> it's torn. <laughs> so a great friend of mine who happened to be a surgeon, you know, uh, that he was at the show as well. Right. So ran out and got Doc, and he was like, he came back behind us and said, oh, man, he used to call me the Sweden, right? I'm the Sweden because I'm the black German over here. He was a... Uh, uh, <laughs> What was John then? We would just laugh. We, oh, it was just great. He's like, man, my brother Vince, he said, you you the Sweden. I said, okay, I'm the Sweden. So, and he came back, he saw my arm, he said, oh my God, Vince, it's crazy. You tore your bicep. I'm like, I'm like what does that mean? Because, Dre, you got to understand, I just won Mr. Berlin a few months ago. My bodybuilding career has just started. Yeah. I'm happy. Right. He said, listen, we got to operate on that. And you probably finish with bodybuilding. You probably have to go start swimming. Another sport altogether. <laughs> That's not what you want like, to hear. <laughs> all that one night. Okay. Yeah. So that, I had a bicep injury, and he, after he detached, that detached, reattached it and everything, he had told me then from a training aspect, he said, I wanted to see you do exercise like chin ups, pull ups, and stuff like that. Because this may pull that tendon right out of the forearm that we had to implant. So you may not be able to do bodybuilding anymore, weightlifting that type. Right. Uh, but if you did, I wanted you to use cables. Okay. Because I, I don't want you to have that much resistance on that on that muscle and that joint at the right. time. So, right. okay, that kind of spurred me to utilizing cables, understanding now when I use the cables, trying to get back into the bodybuilding. I learned right away that light, lighter weight and getting the work done, because that was my rehab, right. to get stimulated back. I've had my body in one position. Now that I'm utilizing this lighter weight to try to maintain or get this rehab going on my left arm, I saw how quickly it was the rehab came about, the quality. And I'm like, okay, you're doing this at a different approach to your normal training with a heavier weights. There's a correlation is super heavy to, 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 to make this muscle retain, retain and grow. You need to be thorough in the execution of how you're doing your work. Right. So then I started training lighter, using that concept, more contraction, started thinking that way. So my whole philosophy of training became lighter weight training, totally. Right. And that's how I think I got my... They call me today. Vince Taylor only trains with twenty pound dumbbells. Yeah, right. Why? Because they work. <laughs> okay. Right, right. That's what I mean. So with the with the grips, and as you mentioned, I and what I did was, I was training doing some tricep extensions on the machine in the gym. Right. And the machine on the gym. After you see the cable machine hanging off, all you're going to see from the cable is this hanging down. Right. Right. In the gym, you take the handle off. There's a little, a little ball was on there at the time. I used to, I used to grab that cable like that, and I would train my you know my body parts like normal everybody just training chest with the cables. Dre, what I did was I had this cable behind my head doing some extension, activate the, the tricep injury that I had. That was the rehab motion I was doing. Right. So I'm engaged in conversation as usual. Uh, for some reason, I had the the handle behind me. Here we go. I'm gonna be a different one. <laughs> had his handle behind me on the machine, so I took it off. The little ball was there, and I had it between these two fingers as I was talking to someone. And I did my little reps, 10 reps here, and for some reason I said, well, 
put it between the middle two fingers, right? right? So when I did the first two, I felt the outer head of my tricep just maximally contract, right. okay? And then when I put it between the baby two fingers in the middle, I shifted over and I pushed it out again. But wow, the whole resistance jumped to the middle of the tricep, the rear tricep. Right. Head. I'm like, this is crazy. Right. So the thought pattern was, well, what happens if I put it between my pinky finger and did that same movement? Well, bingo. That tendon that I detached from that fall and I was rehabbing was affected 100% with that finger positioning of that ball between here, that resistance rather, between the finger here we go. and the ball. I had that bad boy just like this. Let me see if I can get you a picture of that. Yeah, I can see it. Okay. I had it just like that. And as I pushed it forward, man, you actually felt the resistance of the re the weights shifting from the outer head, the middle, to the inner head. And this was the tendon detachment I had in, in the center here. So I had full activation on that tendon by putting that ball between these two fingers. How and does, that was like, wow. How does that... This is, you know, I'm real. How, how does that... How does that... How does that device stimulate other muscle areas do you do like um naturally if you're doing flies you will have two balls right and then right. vice Absolutely. versa so what i did was that was my this is my precision ball this was designed for that purpose being able to place that finger ball between each finger and work in zones because okay. what i found out by utilizing that same finger positioning and that ball in this position right here I, when i switched my hand over to train my biceps the curling action. What you would notice is that when you curl back on the bicep training, the two finger fold work the outer head of the bicep. Okay. So what I do now when I have people looking at and watching what I do, I said, picture your bicep divided in three zones, the outer, the middle, and the inner. You okay. put this ball into two fingers like that, like we just saw in the tricep motion, it is going to, as you increase your curling action, it's going to activate tendons I'm not the tendons, but the fibers in the outer bicep. You will literally feel that section of the fibers in the bicep contract, tighten as you're actually going through your contractions. When you move the ball to the center, you will feel that whole resistance shift right down the center of the bicep. Mm. Then you feel that whole resistance shift to the inner side of the bicep when you move it to the pinky finger. So it was like controlling resisting spots in the muscle, particularly right. the bicep of the tricep, both areas. Outer head of the tricep, middle, rear, bicep, outer head of the bicep, inner, middle. You have direct control underneath the skin. This is the beauty of what I'm doing to change the quality of my, my arm training, okay? Because when you see your muscles being the, uh, muscles being developed and my word is qualitized, okay? Right, right, right. When, when, you, when you're actually training with those, thinking in that perspective, I want to go down this portion of the muscle this portion of the muscle or that portion with X amount of reps and X amount of sets as I would normally do in any training form, any form, then I can see how I can direct the resistance to the muscle. The beauty of that was my thought pattern developed the muscle from an earlier stage. Right. Don't rely on the heavy weight to create the maximum stimulation that you need. You want to stimulate first uh, naturally. You right. want to contract that muscle. Get those signals firing right away from a natural approach. Once you got those muscles contracted, that's the end of the exercise. Right. Think about what you're doing. Right. You, know, you grab a barbell or dumbbell, you throw some weights on it. All you're trying to do is contract that muscle. That's the major effort of what we're doing. It's funny contract. that... It's you're funny that... Can you hear me? It's funny that you said yes. that because now that 
you know, I'm pretty sure you 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 reminisced on this as well. Mm-hmm. The 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 technology and the information that we had back then were the bodybuilding encyclopedia, the Arnold Schwarzenegger encyclopedia, right. and everything was geared around a two concept training philosophy: basic movements, heavy weight, light mm-hmm. weights to cut down. But it's funny now. Um, you don't, and I try to teach my clients this, you don't need a lot of weight to stimulate muscle. You need to understand right. contraction. So I'm 100% for this product. My question is, this is a complete training apparatus. So you can do yeah. the entire body with this particular apparatus that you've developed, correct? Absolutely. What you got here is a 2021 version of this, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> are the main thing. That's the new era. Your normal band here that everybody uses, you're doing exactly the same thing with my grips. The reason why I believe that these create a better type of training for you, it makes you think more. Because right. when you put your hand, as you explained earlier, that's the open palm grip, you realize when you have that hand in an open position like that, what you're doing is you're not uh, you're not requesting power in that late that linear chain of muscle. Right. Okay. Right. You're 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 re- requesting all right now that power apparatus is the rest of these muscles in that linear chain right and we don't need to get to those all i want to do is put you in the best position to control that weight but when you figure out that the exercise that you are doing is being dominated by the amount of weight that you're utilizing because that's where you're getting your plus from right when you feel when you realize you can do that same exercise that muscle gonna work the same way right by using a different tool that you regulate the amount of resistance that you're going to use because one mechanically you don't engage those forms. You don't engage the extra lifting. Okay, when you when forms are disengaged, if you're training your shoulders, your chest, your bicep. Well, guess what? That resistance that's going to that contraction is going there straight, 100%, and it's going to uh, divert the form. You know, you're going to go around that form to get to that muscle. So therefore, you're training with resistance from the first time. That muscle, if, it, if it's the bicep, you got a 15-pound bicep. You got a closed fist. That means that form is going to add to your ability to pull that weight. When that hand is open, there's no hesitation. Right. pounds is going right to that right. bicep. So right. with your standard curl, your hand grip, you're pulling up 15, 20 pounds with ease. Right. Because that form right. is taking that pressure. Right. But with these, the open palm, the deactivation of the form, now all you're doing is gripping that resistance, that muscle that you're actually training to pull that 15 pounds now, working by itself. It's working by itself. So now it can't pull that 15, 20 pounds like it used to. Right. Because now it doesn't have that form helping out. That 15 turned to five pounds. And you're getting that stimulation from that muscle. That contraction is there. Right. That's where that effect comes from. You're getting that full maximizing contraction with a lighter weight. When I curl nowadays with my grips, of course, I go to the stand. I can grab my dumbbells. I do what I call a dumbbell running rack. I start with 10 pounds. Right. I do eight reps for 10 pounds, right. six pounds. It's the smallest weight on the rack. Every denomination I do eight reps with, I walk my way up the, the rack, the highest I can get to is 35 or 40. Then right. I'm, hey, after that, I'm going back down. Okay. That's my stimulation set that I would use to work up my, my arm training exercise. Right. I'm not using a heavy dumbbell. I want to progressively add muscle. So when people are training, I want them to understand, you know, look, train with the denominations of the weight and the rep. Give your body ability to amp up for the next dimension of weight. 
Because you got people who will start with 15 pounds or something and jump right to 30. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I said it all. Why are you slapping on 15 extra pounds? Why don't you progressively take this weight up and condition your muscle for training? You know, it's not wrong to do that. It's not right to do that. But for the average person who want to train, it means to work out. The key word is working out, right? So if you're doing four sets, work those four sets. Don't go maximum. Look, I got to get 12 reps of 55 pounds. I can't even do 20. <laughs> so I'm killing. This is my training. I'm going hard. <laughs> You're still doing the same thing at the end of the day. You're still pushing and trying to contract the muscle for an advantage. Right. Well, do it a different way. Right. Go go lighter, but go in a dimensions that gives you a, a sturdier way of training, makes it more convenient for the average person to train. Huh. Vince, how can so we you got them coming up to train? How can go we ahead. how can we get to how can they how can the viewers get these uh, these uh, 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 training techniques and tips? Put a website up, Jay. There we go. Yeah, the website will give you the uh, the product itself. I got some videos on there to show how to use the grips, the concept behind the grips. You know, I talk about, hey, how to choose the right grip, because that's what a lot of people understand it. You got three different sizes, small, medium, and large ball for your hands. Why, Dre? Because very simple. People's fingers, you know. So right. if you have a, a custom fit hand ball, a two-inch ball I found out, it's almost like throwing a baseball for the positions that we are utilizing them in, mm-hmm. right? It fits for a larger size hand, a two-inch ball fitting in there is a such a comfortable grip, a half-moon grip when your finger fold. Mm-hmm. So it's totally comfortable. That's the first foremost what I try to do with the size. So I go from small, a large, a medium, a small. Now, does it make a difference of the size of the grip you're using? Slightly. It creates the same effectiveness. 90% of that form, number one, is, which I, is what I want, okay, which makes you rely on more mental and physical contraction than size the weight. But now being able to put it between the finger fold and get the benefit of isolating that right. one section of the fiber in the muscle if you train a tricep, bicep, you're going to get that continuously by that open palm grip. Okay. The beauty of it is it's going to limit the amount of weight you can use. Yeah. It's, you're not going to do a 30-pound curl with these. Right. Okay. When not, you put these on and do a bicep curl for the same purpose you're curl. Right. You're going to do a pound curl, maximum 20, without some serious bump. Right. Five or 10 pounds is going to do the job for you. <laughs> but people who think they need, oh, I got to go heavy. Well, normally, I use a single ball. Where I want you to break that muscle into the sections. Lighter, make it effective happen. But if you need heavy stuff, all I did was double it up. So okay. make your fist grip if you like. You can do the same thing, but you still have that open palm. You just still have as much activation if you if you squeeze the ball like that. Right. So I try. I'm tough. So now all that conversation is on that website to tell you why these grips fit everybody because you don't have to worry about the circumference. All of them keeps the finger fold open. The benefit of it is, like you mentioned yourself, I got people who can't even make a fist. Right. Therefore, what do they look like going to the gym and train? Right. I have elderly people with different type of arthritis, uh, ham and problems. You know, anybody who has some sort of impediment that you can't get beyond, you can't make a fist, uh, you can't do this, you can't write. Look, do it's drop this in the finger fold, like you said. You drop it in the finger fold, and you off to the races. Now you can do all <laughs> the training that's required for somebody to make a fist. You don't have to. You leave it open. You know, and, and job's done. And the it's, benefits of those. And it's and safe. What and that does is is amazing. And it's and it's safe. Before we wrap, uh, and they're yours. You know, with this corona, I was telling people most of the time. Listen, these are your personal hand grips. They weigh less than uh, twelve ounces. 
you know, right. less. So all you're doing, you put them in your pile, right? They're durable. You can lift as much weight as you can possibly put on it. I recommend, simply, simply wise, if you're using a single ball, precision ball, understand the word. You want to be precision. You want to be smart about your training. Lighten it up or you're in a rehab phase. You want to use the amount of weight that's going to tell you common sense if this ball in the finger fold position that you have to train with it in. Right. If it's hurting you, then obviously you're training too heavy. Right. Okay? Because all you're doing is supposed to hold this in your hand for a connection. This has, right. has nothing to do with your bullet. But if it's causing you know, finger issues and problems with your finger and you're gripping, change the weight too heavy. The benefits of it is you're doing finger hand exercise. Healthy hands, man. You don't have to be uh, a football player or a baseball player. But if you are... I'm telling you, this is what you want to do to train your hands, okay? Because this is what you need because you're working flexation, contraction, squeezing, grip control, and form development, all of that in that normal method that you use. Right. And that resistance to at home, okay? So you don't have to be training with this for exercise purposes, hand development, rehab development. The benefits of utilizing this type of grip, man. So it sounds... It's what you make out of it. It sounds know? like a great multi-purpose exercise machine device to use and you mentioned something about the the uh the pandemic and you're right we need to find right. ways to stay healthy this is clearly a device that is um able to keep you safe at home and still be able to exercise my last two questions i'm going to ask um, sure before we go um we've gone through a lot of different things last year and this 2021 is a it's clearly about progress moving forward understanding your why yeah um, a change is going to come um leave leave the viewers with something motivational that has helped you stay in that beast frame of mind going into the start of 2021 Vince Mm. Yeah, because it's, it's been trying, you know, this, these, these last years, especially politically, and, and that just affects you physically, you know, mentally. It, it's just it's super trying with this pandemic and everything else, the sincerity of it. It's, 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 it's called awareness, man. I try to tell people, you got to, you know, you can't let some of these quick sayings and some of these uh, unfounded accusations, you know, drive you certain directions and certain ways of thinking. You know, there's so much going on out there that affects you on a physical level and which in turns affect the people immediately around you. Correct. So positivity, Correct. thinking positive, trying to maintain that goal of do for you what you would do for somebody else. You know, make sure what you're doing is thorough. You know, but it's gotta be, you got to show restraint. You got to be strength because some people don't have the same mindset that you have. You look at a situation a hundred degrees different than somebody else and you shake your head and go like, how can this person even think that way? Right. But now you can't, you can't get caught up in trying to figure that out anymore. <laughs> you know, it is what it is. So now you sit back and start saying, how do I adapt to the new changes? Right. You know? right. I think this whole pandemic in 2021 is about re reevaluating you're just point on, you know, you can't rely on the things that we went through because that is just the reminder of what the problem is today. Right. You know, right. things we went through. How do we change 
in mentally, internally? How do we change physically? You got to back up. You got to regroup. You got to start taking that deep breath. You got to find some uh, humid. Uh, oh, man, what's what I'm looking for? I just want people to just, you know, people just got to think, man. You got you to put the fist down. You got to back up. You got to start mind and start caring more about people and, and things around you. You can't help everybody, but you can offer some sort of assistance. Don't mm-hmm. shell out. Right now, I fear that everybody is just, you're backing up into your own corners now, you know, in every aspect. If it's the jobs, you know, uh, what's not available for you, why you can't get it versus something now. There's a new reason why things are not happening the way they should for you. But you, you, you pull back in your own corner, man, and you find yourself fighting that fight. But you got to remember, people around, you know, incorporate, bring people in to fight this thing together, because, man, especially in a family unit, because with the times now, you find a lot of animosities and, and tensions throughout the family unit, you know? Yeah, yeah. The best way to do that is stay positive and stay on that collective conversation, because this 2021, 2022, whoo, I think we in for something <laughs> on a medical, on a uh, mental ride. Right. Right. So my, my advice, so my, my motivation, anything is that you sit down and you take a, a, a chronological order of how your life developed. You see everything you went through. You see what where you were then, what you thought about then, how you handled things then. Then you look at a new challenge coming at you. You're, you're simply older. Right. The only problem you have by being older is that you want to bring in all this experience mm-hmm. about what you can do. What you, but you don't know what the future is bringing. Right. That, that, that. That information is almost a handicap to you if you fall back on it too much. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Open that brain up a little bit, man. Start reaching for things that's going to get you. I settle on things that you already know to keep you standing where you are. So for me, it's like, man, Corona and 65 years old turning this year, you know, looking for a vaccination <laughs> and waiting for some good time to roll and yeah. put you in that shell, brother. Right. Put you in that shell in that corner, have you trying to do things to survive. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. That is my man, my friend, Mr. Five-Time Olympia champion. The quiet storm has spoken and the storm has settled. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you, Vince Taylor, for being on the Andre the B Show. Hey, Vince, make sure you come back and let's do it again, okay? My pleasure. Like I said before, my brother... All about that you. It's all about the you. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Andre the Beast Show.